I think that's an easy way to get into the accents, doing a little bit of lisp. It's very, it's a very lispy southern accent. Like, he, like he's just like a little boy, a little bit. Well, there's a certain amount of, you know, like, I, I don't know. You, you gotta hike your underpants up a little. Yeah, bit. you. I mean, it's there's, hard to go foghorn. Things like, have to be. But I say, I say, down yeah, there, darling. I say, we. Well, I'm just a simple country lawyer. You don't want to do that. Yeah. That's a different voice. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's not the voice you're looking for. That's not the voice you're looking for. Yeah, you, you you gotta get that voice that's also got the tuberculosis, tuberculosis and the alcoholism. Listen, my really funny has tuberculosis. My funny has only one lung. Get you a, get you a BFF that looks at you the way Doc Holliday looks at Wyatt Earp. Yeah. I'm saying. He's got his back, bro. Oh my god. See, maybe I've been misreading the way you guys have been looking at me. I thought I already had that. We, well, I'm not. Oh, no. I'm, intervention. Yeah, no. I, I'm, intervention. I know. I'm going to go ahead and stay the course and say, you do. Yeah. I do. Yeah. yeah, you got it. You never break that eye contact, yeah. and that's what I like. It's very difficult for me. You know this. It's very hard. <laughs> this, is a, this is a skill yeah, that it I is. have mastered. Very hard for it all. You guys remember when we first uh, started recording? I would just like look at the table for the uh, entire time. Or he'd just talk the entire time. Well, looking at the table whilst talking, it was kind of strange. It was talking like, to the table. It was like this moment, like the savant moment that was going on there. <laughs> Dalton Stewart podcasting savant. <laughs> hey, hello everybody, welcome again to the Good Trash Genre Cast. We gather at a table and we discuss the films you'll never discuss in a film studies course. Yeah, hey, uh, uh, there we go. And this week's film is uh, Tombstone, uh, starring uh, Kurt Russell and Val Kilmer and others. About the founding of the pizza company? Yes. Um, what do you want on your tombstone? Uh, the notable tagline from Tombstone. <laughs> oh, I recall. Yeah, the four slugs from a 44 is what I want on my tombstone. Um, very, very tasty. That's a very, very specific reference. What's a, the, the Boot Hill? Did you see the Boot Hill? Like, uh, there's a tombstone. No, on I, I, I looked it up. Yeah. Oh, yeah I yeah. did some research for this episode, but it doesn't get... By research, you read the trivia on IMDb. <laughs> yeah, that's not research. No. I read the production history on Wikipedia. <laughs> <laughs> it's totally different. You went yeah. to the academic sources? Yeah. yeah. You sound like a college freshman doing a paper. <laughs> well, look, I didn't research a lot. I so wouldn't have time for I that. I wouldn't want to go fuck up what we've, we've got here. There's a method <laughs> to what we're doing. Well, let's identify who's doing the things that we are doing right now. To my left, sir, who are you? I am Arthur Gordon, and I've got two guns, one for the each of you. <laughs> very good, very good. Cross table, sir. Who are you? Uh, my name is Dalton Stewart, and much like watching a foreshadowing heavy performance of Faust, podcasting is very instructive. Very, very instructive. My name is Dustin Sells and Dalton. You're no Daisy. You're no Daisy at all. I'm not. <laughs> You're a Daisy if you do. Such a quotable film. I'll be damned. Well, it, it's just, it's just Val. Uh, Val is. is so good in this movie. He's 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 bringing it. It's an Oscar nominated supporting actor role. That makes sense. So. Yeah, it, and it's not even that it's. You know what? No, I was going to take it away and say it's just because it's so fun and the the voice is cool and the lines are cool. It's actually a good performance. It too. really is. Yeah. Uh, the, well, we'll get there when we talk about the the tender bro love going on in this film. Yes, we shall because it's good. So without any further this is, ado, this is the hold on. I'm so okay. sorry. I didn't mean to railroad you. Well, you can have some further ado. I, I just want to listener. Not since Point Break have we got... I know you were maybe wanting it with Butch and Sundance, and you didn't get it there, and I'm really sorry. 
but not since Point Break have we had a love so tender between two men go uh, un... Uh, what's the word I'm looking for here? Um, the the thing. We're, uh, Unchecked? Unrequited? No. Um, oh, my God. The love whose name we never speak. <laughs> no, we always speak it. Um, good Lord. When a, a marriage is blank... When the fucking happens, it has been consummated. Consummated. Thank you. Good lord. Wow. Hi. It is unconsummated. Welcome, welcome to the Good Trash Genre Cast, where an I academic podcast words. where we analyze films and Dalton finds words. I forget the word "consummated" for an unreasonable amount of time. This week's episode is sponsored by the letter C for consummated. C is for consummated. It's good C enough for me. Is for the way you consummate me. <laughs> that was a really uh. <laughs> It took a long way for me to say I like the relationship between Wyatt and Doc in this movie. I could have oh, just yeah. started there. You could have done that. All right. Sorry, Dustin. Well, that was a lot of ado, but no further ado. We'll tell you what's going on. None more. <laughs> no more doo-doo. With this show. Uh, this is not a review show. Oh, no. It is an analysis show, and that does mean we're going to spoil what happens in historical events that are well documented. Uh, but nonetheless, we will do our best to avoid spoilers for the first portion of the show. We'll have a synopsis from Arthur, our voice of the cinema, and then we'll have our quick thumbs up, thumbs down reviews, which are generally spoiler free. Then we'll play a game which will involve uh, some of the films in this film's orbit and possibly spoilers therein, though this week we're probably generally pretty safe. And then we get down to business. And once that happens, all spoiler bets are off. So now that you've been warned, Arthur, I would love for you to regale us with that lovely synopsis. A successful lawman's plan to retire anonymously in Tombstone, Arizona, are disrupted by the kind of outlaws he was famous for eliminating. That is what happens in this movie. It is Eliminator, the Western. <laughs> the Terminator. Uh, this is a, a very good segue into our uh, our Good Trash Westerns, I feel like. Uh we we wow we we picked a good trash one huh mm, it's a oh fun yeah one. yeah it's it's a fun one. Well, oh it's the, a good time so Dalton I, I'm getting the feeling already do you like Tombstone I like it a lot uh here's the thing I, I I've kept wondering is it good because it's pulpy or would it be better if it were less pulpy was a thing that I kept thinking to myself uh, and I don't know that we're gonna get an answer to that today but it's certainly something I'm gonna keep puzzling over as we talk uh, I adore Tombstone uh, I think we talked about this a little bit. Uh, when we uh, first started our, our anti-trash Western marathon, uh, we kind of talked about each of our backgrounds with Westerns, and Tombstone came up as being one for Arthur and I that was a big gateway into the genre. And I think a big part of that has to do with it is a 90s movie, more than it's a Western in some ways. I mean, there are nods to uh, a lot of classical Western shots and stuff, but I mean, in terms of uh, a lot of the montage editing, a lot of the way the gunfights are shot, uh, just uh, the actual color choices that are being made lighting choices that are being made it looks like a film from the early 90s uh and that was you know the language that uh a film that i was first taught and i know arthur that was a big uh cornerstone for you and i think that's probably why it made tombstone so accessible to us when we were young uh, and not into westerns being into westerns now and going back and revisiting for the first time in god probably 10 years really just blew me away how good it still was i didn't expect to like it as much as i did which, you know, I assumed I would still enjoy it and have a fun time with it, but I didn't expect to find so much there. Because I think this is a really good movie about revenge, uh, and 
specifically revenge as it exists in Western narratives. Uh, it, it's often really uncomplicated. And, and this film tries to have its cake and eat it, too, a little bit. It wants you to know how bad the Cowboys are. Like it, Before you even meet Kurt Russell, you get to watch Michael Bean and Booth Powers kill a wedding, just mm-hmm. so you know how bad they are. But then it spends the rest of the movie making you wonder how much of a good guy Wyatt Earp is. And uh, it, it doesn't always work because it has used such a broad brush to paint what scumbags the members of the Cowboys are. But that said, there is still this undercurrent subtext running throughout of like how unfulfilling vengeance is and um, how unfulfilling getting reinvolved in the violence of the world is that uh, just kind of makes me adore this movie more than I think probably it ever. I don't know. It was well received when it came out, but I don't feel like I've heard a lot of conversations about Tombstone throughout my life as an interesting film about violence. And I really think it is mm. uh, in, you know, it's, Troubled production history is uh, probably at at fault for some of this having its cake and eating it too that's going on. It's also just a little shaggy. Um, there's a whole like extraneous kill montage that happens after the big baddies have been uh, put in the grave, and I think that probably has to do with the historical record. All the leaders of this gang got killed before the rest of the gang was you know chased off into the wind. But look, we don't know how much of White Herb's story is true. We just know who got shot and when. Let's. We don't need to stick purely to the historical record if we're giving him the benefit of the doubt and like uh, his motives. You know what I mean? We're already lionizing the guy a little bit. We can shave shave some time off the runtime of this movie. Um, but yeah, those those extra subplots that don't really go anywhere aside. Uh, I, I think it works really well. Are there aspects of it that I don't think work very well? Oh yeah. Uh, we're going to talk a lot about uh, the uh, the romantic relationships in this film because they're. They're a doozy, but I think overall it is as interesting as a pulpy Western like this can be because you don't often get a pulpy Western where you get a bunch of gleeful 90 shootouts and then also some kind of interesting meditations on uh, people's motivation for doing violence. And uh, I'm a big fan of that. Um, Big fan of the performances. Uh, I mean, we spent like a whole uh, little fun intro just goofing on how much we like them, but uh, Sam Elliott. I mean, Michael Bean, I'm not just, I'm not going to enumerate the cast. It would take too long. But everybody in this movie is so good and so game, including Billy Bob Thornton in his uh, apparently entirely improvised role. Uh, yeah, I, I think this movie's a hoot, and uh, I can't wait to, like, really dive into it and unpack it. This is such a fun place for us to start this uh, good trash half of our Western mega marathon. Billy Bob's got one of my favorite moments from Doc Holliday in this movie. Oh, Johnny, I forgot you were there. You may go now. <laughs> It's such a good introduction. Thank you. It's so, <laughs> thank you. Thank you. It's so damn funny. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Very good, very thank good. You. Well, thank you for that, Mr. Dalton Stewart. You may go now. Um, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Leave the shotgun. You? Leave the shotgun. Oh, okay. I'll put it down. Okay. I uh, I love Tombstone. I uh, look quite a bit. Um, I had res- I uh, When I first got a DVD, Xbox, when I first got an Xbox, uh, and sometime i guess sophomore year i don't remember um i got a dvd player uh and i received uh, a friend loaned me a copy of tombstone on dvd and i'd never seen it to that point and i watched it and then i watched it almost every day for weeks oh yeah you did and then as i started to amass a small collection of movies um i went and i found they had this really nice uh two disc collector's edition Oh yeah, and I I bought that and I continued to watch it quite a bit. 
um, and I haven't seen it actually in a long time. It was actually on TV uh, a few weeks ago, and I was watching. Um, it's where they. It's right. It's the shootout sequence. Oh, it was okay. the shootout, mm-hmm. and uh, uh, so I watched a few minutes there, and I was really excited to get, finally get to revisit it again in full. Uh, yeah, I, I think it's right. I, I agree with Dalton. I think that after the shootout, uh, there's some really good stuff, and then it kind of lags for a little bit. Now, are you talking about the river shootout or the OK Corral? The shootout? Corral. Okay. Yeah, after the Corral, or after the OK Corral, and we kind of have that really fun, uh, kind of supernatural nighttime sequence where everything starts to go down. Um, uh, you know, we get that, and then we kind of get back into the chase, and that stuff kind of drags a little bit. But you know, other than that, the ensemble's great. Russell's great. Kilmer's great. Elliot's great. Uh, Paxton's great. Here is Morgan. Uh, I kind of love his naivety and just his want to impress his brothers and stand by his family. Uh, and I like all that, all that plays out. The Cowboys are a fantastic, uh, rogues gallery. Uh, Johnny Ringo, uh, is a lot of fun. Um, uh, Michael Bean is, is great there. Uh, Billy Zane. Is is Billy like, Zane fun, back at fun it pool. again? Purtiest man I ever saw. <laughs> oh, love that. What do you think, Billy? Love that Billy Zane. I think hair. he's wonderful. Oh. <laughs> um. So yeah, I mean, I just want to pick up stakes. Go find a a, a game of Pharaoh I can buy into, and uh, just you know, I actually don't want to live like that. Um. But yeah, I, I think it's a fun film, and and it's nothing about the direction. It's nothing about the cinematography. It's none of that technical stuff. Because, I mean, it's pretty, you know, it is what it is. It's pretty decently constructed. Um, but it's, it's really the characters and, and the story itself and the way it's laid out and, and the, the way the narrative plays. And I read this in some way. I don't remember which review it was. I was reading some reviews. But they mentioned how um, it leads up to this thing in the middle. Traditionally, that, that OK Corral sequence probably would have been the finale. Yeah. But here it's really the um, the starting off point for the, the actual chaos i mean it's a lot of nothing going on until that point it's just kind of getting to know these characters in this world i, I read this thing george cosmatos uh who got brought in to direct like a week into shooting said the exact same thing that was one of the reasons he was excited that's what it, it was yeah. yeah he was like this should be the end for most movies. but it's the inciting incident yeah yeah and, and i think that's just a really i had never really thought about it until i read that and i'm like okay that's and so it's this kind of there's this kind of very melodramatic very epic nature about what the story is being presented uh, and I, and I guess in the original script, it was uh, several bits longer and everybody was going to get much more, uh, backstory and time. And they were like, we got to cut this down. Yeah. Uh, so it seemed like it was probably gonna be really rambly, um, if they weren't careful, but I, which, I think which it works. kind of disappointing a little bit because I, th- I feel like the, the degree to which, uh, the, the Earp brothers try to avoid this confrontation, uh, specifically Wyatt, but all of them in some ways. And it's like. The film and history know where they are destined to go, and like they just keep getting pulled along on this path that they cannot avoid. Uh, it gives you the same juice that something like Romeo and Juliet, anything that announces very loudly, this is the ending of the story you were about to watch. Like You've heard of the OK Corral. You probably are aware that this is where this is going. And um, it's, it's interesting, Arthur. I agree that it probably the movie would be worse if it had that stuff, but that first act the really long first act that leads us to the okay corral i feel like is some of the most interesting stuff in the movie right yeah oh yeah definitely i mean getting to know doc and getting to see the the repartee between the brothers and doc and and just the people in this town and oh i can't think of his name the uh the the county sheriff uh yeah yeah Uh, (laughs) um and i'm also president of the nonpartisan anti-chinese league (laughs) (laughs) um yeah yeah uh 
I really enjoy Tombstone uh, for what it is. I, I have a good time with it every time. Uh, I just love the the performance. I think it's one of Russell's best performances as well. I, I think he's he turns so in a great performance good. here. Um, I know he's doing that sh- John Wayne shtick, but I think he he sells it really well here. And so I'm definitely pro on on the Tombstone. Uh, excellent. Thank you very much for that, Mr. Arthur Gordon. Um, as you have heard throughout my dear co-host reviews, I've been um, regaling them with quotes and obscure lines. And the reason why is uh, this is one of those movies I've got memorized. It is it yep. is a movie I have seen over and over. The and nonsense over. Latin and everything, huh? Uh, vino Veritas. Um, but yeah, we can do this, you know. Requiem Nastu Tapache. It's so um, yeah, I could do that. <laughs> it's so funny to just like watch them say nonsense to each other. It's really satisfying. It's, it's fantastic. It's so silly. the uh, The trope of smart people knowing Latin is one of my favorite dumb tropes. Mm-hmm. It's so silly. Look, look, darling, Mister Ringo's an educated man. No, he's not. Now educated. I really, no, hate, I really him. hate him. <laughs> that's, now re- that's so good. Uh, no, it's not a mark of education. It just means you either grew up Catholic or maybe tried to become a lawyer. Those are At the some only, point in yeah, life, one yeah. of those two things. Uh, but nonetheless, yeah, I like this movie a lot. It's, it, it, it's perfect as one, what was great about action cinema in general. The fact that it happens to be a Western is sort of incidental. But as action cinema, where there are going to be a lot of violence, there's going to be a lot of gunfights and the sort of the seeking and the, and the finding of vengeance and all those other things that Dalton talked about. Done well with characters that are not necessarily rounded. I mean, I don't think you have to really, really round a character to pull this off, but characters that are really identifiable and with whom one can identify, that you know who they are and where, they are, where they're placed. And so it's got a certain economy of uh, making sure that you've got enough characters to have those little bits and pieces and uh, little extraneous characters that are here and there, but they definitely fall backward as opposed to, I mean, there's a great failing in this. Um, I don't know if you've seen um, the, the 13th Warrior, the, the Antonio Banderas yeah. Viking movie. But you remember, like, two guys, but there's, again, another 12 dwarves, but you don't know who the other 12 dwarves, I mean, Vikings are. And and it's just, you sort of get lost in it, right? And, and it, it's, it's and otherwise... It's because they have big bushy beards and you can't see their faces. And, and they don't much, have enough... Much like the dwarves in The Hobbit. I knew, yeah, I knew where your brain made and that. And then there are no little ticks with uh, the particular characters where they become identifiable. And then you can identify with them. I understand what it's like to be Morgan, who's sort of dopey and naive. I understand what, what it's like to be Sam Elliott and sort of grizzled and cynical. I understand what it's like to be Wyatt, who just wants to be left alone and you don't want to poke this particular bear i know what it's like to be doc holiday and just a smart ass you know i mean it's all of that stuff i too know what it is like to be doc holiday which is mostly your friends trying to keep you from embarrassing yourself listen lunga (laughs) (laughs) but so you know all of that you know really really works very well and it's a movie again a movie i've watched a lot is one of the first dvds i ever owned i remember being amazed at, at the sort of being able to slow down the frames in a way that you never could on a VCR and there's a moment I don't think it's Ike Clanton that gets hit in the face with the uh, butt of a rifle from the side I, I think it's a it's a sort of a nondescript non-character cowboy that he hits he's they're holding the rifle by the barrel and he just backhand swats this guy in the face and I remember running it in slow motion and you can see in slow motion the guy blowing out the blood as the thing comes that's, that's, that, that's going to be the squib that's going to yeah. be all over his face and I was like oh I love movies it was just you know sort of one of those moments yeah. and I have all of those sort of memories and love and appreciation and nostalgia for this movie so yeah Tombstone I, I love Tombstone are you kidding me so uh, yeah it's just fun to you know we we have all had at various times throughout the the history of the show times where we had to go 
do a nostalgia check and mm-hmm. see if something we remember liking is good. It's just satisfying when it actually is. Yes. You're like, damn, okay, I did kind of have okay taste. Like, the things that I liked were pretty good. Yeah, it's, it's definitely an enjoyable movie. It's and, satisfying. And very much so. So there you go, dear listener. Those were our thoughts regarding Tombstone. Initially, we'd like to hear yours via social media. Dalton, tell them how. Okay, if you insist that I do, I will. I uh, do. We're on uh, social media. That's that's where we can be found if you want to, to do that. Hi. Really, I can just do whatever I want at this part of the show. As long as it's quick, Arthur and Dustin will let me go. So I, I'm just going to say thanks so much. it's never quick enough. I'm just going to say thanks so much for listening to the Good Trash Genre Cast. If you want to find out what we're doing on Twitter, it's at good underscore trash. Uh, if you want to send us an email for long-form feedback, that's goodtrashgenrecast at gmail.com. Uh, our devoted listener, Keith and Smith, and uh, number one fan is doing something with a uh, Facebook group, but uh, we're not really checking our Facebook uh, over there anymore, so don't bother with that. Uh, really, just do the rate, review, subscribe thing. We we have to, to say that. I think those are the rules. I think the podcast please show up if we don't, so you should do that. Um, if you want to give us money, that would be really great. You don't have to. It's not important. Arthur's actively trying to distract me right now. That's patreon.com forward slash GTM. That's where you can go to find out how much money you should give us and what you get in return. It's mostly fun bonus content. Uh, Now we're done with this part of the show, and I'm just going to say go to goodtrashmedia.com to find out everything else we're up to, Uh, shows we don't record anymore, shows that we're still putting out, uh, written content, all that fun stuff. Maybe uh, go subscribe to The Praise Down with Heath and Alex. Check out that show if you haven't already. Now we're done. I'm going to turn this more into, I I don't like doing social media anymore, is what I've decided, guys. This is going to be more of a, here's something that's happening on the, that we're doing or somebody we know is doing that you should check out. That's that's what I'm thinking. And hopefully Arthur won't do that weird thing with his glasses next time. (laughs) Oh, goodness. That was fun stuff. And that's right, dear listener. Twitter's coming and hell's coming with it. But now it's time to play the game. It might feel good. It might sound a little something. But damn the game if it don't mean nothing. What is game? Who got game? Where's the game in life? Behind the game, behind the game. I got and game. we're back, and this week's game, game are uh, actors we'd like to see in a Western. That's right, actors who should be in Westerns that haven't been, but it's going to make perfect sense when they do. Brought to you by Tombstone. Tombstone. It's got Val Kimmer. Who knew who should be a cowboy? But he definitely should have been. Absolutely, or a dentist. Yeah, but that's what we're going with. Actors who, uh, it's going to be like a career-defining performance if they ever get around to doing a Western. So there you go. Um, so um, we're just going to do it round robin style. So number first from you, Arthur Gordon, what do you pick? My first pick. I was actually really, I was actually a little worried when Dalton pitched this game because all of my actors I was thinking of was like, oh, they've been in a western. Oh, they've been in a western. Oh, they've that been may in end a up happening to me some too, but that's okay. <laughs> so uh, I, I, my first pick is a character actor I love, who I, I just think is phenomenal, and I was actually shocked he hasn't done a western. As best I could tell, I went through his filmography and IMDb. I didn't see one unless there was something just oddly titled, and it is Liev Schreiber. Wow. Oh yeah. Um, yeah okay. I, I think he's I just him. great. Uh, I think he could pull off the look. He's got that physicality to him. He's got the charisma. He can lead. He can be a sidekick. He can kind of do everything, uh, anything needed. Um. So yeah, I mean, he could be a lone gunman. He could be part of a posse. I mean, whatever. Uh, you need Leo Schreiber to do. He'll do it. I think he would look great uh, in that little, uh, you know, five day old beard and a, and a hat just drifting the plains. And so that would be my first choice. Excellent. I like that pick very much. What's your first pick, Dalton? Uh, my first pick is now, as Arthur mentioned, we're probably going to hit some ones here uh, potentially. This one's a little bit of a cheat because this man has been in 
films that took place in Western times, but he has not done a proper Western, and that is Matthew McConaughey. Can you believe really? Matthew McConaughey has never played a damn cowboy? Not once. Not one time. Yeah, he's done some period stuff yeah, and he did Free State, State of Jones. Jones. Yeah, and, um, oh God, what's another one? Probably a war movie. I yeah, don't know. but he, he's done some, you know, 1800s yeah, Civil movies. For sure. He hasn't done a proper, he did uh, the Newton Boys, which is like 1920s with Linklater. That's, that's more like, of a gangster film, though. It's not really. It's, it's like a kind of a gangster Western split. You know, we talked about that a little bit earlier in this long, long marathon that we're doing about that overlap between like a Bonnie and Clyde and Butch and Sundance. Yeah. There's some similarities there. But he hasn't done a proper cowboy movie. And that is because Matthew McConaughey is a cowboy and obviously probably gets sent those a lot and turns them down, which tells me he's waiting for the right one. And when he does it, it's going to be the one. Now, McConaughey's, you can make the argument that he's already played a cowboy in Dallas Buyers Club. In fact, he did. That's a cowboy, a literal cowboy. It's not a Western, and I want it. I want it bad. There's so many different ways. It could be a Rooster Cogburn type. It could be a man with no name type. There's so many different routes that a, a Matthew McConaughey iconic Western performance could take. And uh, not having seen it yet is, I almost don't want it to happen. I want it to be a great unknown. Yeah. What if? What if McConaughey? Exactly. Yeah. Because it will be a career-defining performance. There's I mean, no way Potentially, yes. And I think, that's, I, I think that's probably why he hasn't done one is... It's he's Matthew Dan McConaughey. Like that's probably someone expected. It's such like, hey. a, exactly. It's such a part of like his iconography that uh, I'm sure he's probably if he ever chooses to do a western, it's going to have to be one that's real, real good. Excellent, excellent. Uh, my first selection is Ellen Page. Actually, I'd love to see nice. her oh, in a my western. God, that would be so good. Like a like a. Are we now we're thinking a Canadian western, like something specifically about. Uh, Canada during Western times? What I'm thinking is the action sort of vengeance version that doesn't end sad of the gal who got rattled. Hell yeah. I okay. want her playing that kind that of, of character and then she immediately sort of works her way into the hardened necessary woman who does what needs to be done with uh, efficiency and brutality. See, I'm keeping all my, my lady Western uh, choices uh, close to my vest for when we get around to Quick and the Dead with Sharon Stone because you uh, know we're going to have to talk about that oh, so good. i'm keeping the, that close to the vest for right now but i love that ellen page pick that's an inspired choice I, I i like her a lot anyway and i think she'd be great in that kind of role so that's my first selection is ellen page um who is your second selection arthur gordon uh my next pick is an ensemble troupe uh just imagine kind of a uh the the brothers erp uh idea and i'm going with the one of them's kind of been western adjacent uh, but the other two have it, and it is the Hollywood Chris's, Pine, Evans, and Hemsworth. Sucker. Okay. Those are my boys. Yeah, you're right. Pine did Heller High Water, so yeah. that's Western adjacent. Yeah, but, but the other two haven't, mm -hmm. and just man, put those three on horseback and let those golden locks fly. Just let them talk. Just, yeah. Yeah, give me some sunset shots. Let them just BS around a fire. Yep. And they're yeah. just they're just trapes in the plains. Yeah, I wanted just a cattle driving movie. I don't like even, Evans yeah. to like a Lonesome Dove esque. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah Evans to Hemsworth. Yeah, Mama always doted on the frowner. Yeah, like totally will work. Right? <laughs> yeah, and okay. yeah, Hemsworth's oh. a little dumb. Chris yeah. Pine's a little cocksure. I think Pine will probably be the see. I see Evans being the cocksure one. And really, Pine, be, Pine being the uh, the like the, the world weary one. Okay, yeah. okay, and Hemsworth being the he's the tired one. one. Uh, I think Hemsworth maybe be the so funny Pine one. is Sam Elliott. Yeah, Pine Sam Elliott. Evans is wider. 
I think Evans is wider, but Hemsworth isn't really. That's Morgan, where he's wider. a Morgan. Morgan, he could be, pull the Morgan he could off. Naive, he can. Uh, he can for sure, and he can do. If it's a comedy western, he could. Yeah. Well, he's gonna be funny. He's gonna yeah. be the funny one for yeah, sure. Definitely. Yeah. Okay. That's my next pick, though. Oh, that's good. I like it very much, and I don't like the steal that happened there. I'll have to do something else. Go ahead, Dalton. What is your number next pick? My number next pick is John Bernthal. Uh, oh uh, yeah. yeah. Oh my gosh. Yeah. Oh yeah. Has that not happened yet? No. Oh, yeah. I know, right? There is no justice in I this know. world. Uh, oh, the Punisher. Yeah. yeah. I, I just finished uh, season two of The Punisher, which was as surprisingly good as the first season. Uh, I, the show is a gift that keeps on giving. It's a strange, strange television program. DM me. I'll talk about it with you. I don't give a shit. This, I want to talk about the show with somebody because I think I'm the only one watching it. But Bernthal in both seasons of that show and really every performance he's ever done is just full of whatever the scene needs in a really incredible way, whether it's intensity or softness. Uh, and I, I think you, you think Bernthal and you think, oh, he's, he's a tough guy. Sure, but I think there's a sensitivity to every Bernthal performance that is like integral to a great cowboy, a great Western performance. Uh, I, I think specifically of um, this one scene he has in Wind River that's really incredible. Uh, the scene I, I've got some other problems with. If you've seen that movie, you know which scene I'm talking about. I've got some issues with that. Uh, but that performance is really spectacular. Um, there's some real soulfulness to him in Fury, a movie that's not great, uh, but he is just spectacular. And, and we can just keep naming Bernthal performances all day. I'm not going to do that. Uh, but but it's not just his uh, believability as a killer of men. It is his believability as somebody with a very tender heart. And I think... Uh, especially, you know, any Western that gets made now is always going to be kind of deconstructing the genre at this point in the game. And I think he has that forlornness uh, that is going to make a, a character in that type of movie really interesting. Very good, very good. I can get behind that choice. Um, my number next pick is Alan Cumming. Um, and okay. For a gentleman gambler, yeah, sort of that's slight, what I was picturing. slight of build kind of character. I like that. Perhaps with a Scottish accent, perhaps not. Perhaps it's the backstory of an English Bob from Unforgiven, um, played by Richard Harris. Um, something like that is, is, is something to think about. But I'm really do, you know, riverboat gambler that's and fun. swindle kind of yeah. story. And he's just conniving and he, and, and it's sort of very Yojimbo slash, um, a fistful of dollars, just two moves ahead of everybody yeah. else around him, uh, kind of, uh, you know, heisty sort of Western film. I think he's great in that kind of role. So, um, Alan Cumming is my number next pick. Who's your number last pick, Arthur? My last pick is the wonderful Saoirse Ronan. Oh, uh, my gosh, I'm just yes. picturing a uh, true grit type. Uh, she's out for revenge. Your family's been, you know, taken apart by some outlaw band, and she's out for revenge and burning them down. Uh, so it's kind of a combination of Hannah and True Grit, uh, and I'm here for it. Uh, she is a chameleon and can do anything and everything. Um, she's kind of ageless in, the, in a weird sense in, in what she's capable of doing. Uh, and she's just talent beyond her years, I think. I think she's one of the greats. And so I, I think she'd do phenomenal in, in a Western uh, and just let her go. And so I'm, I'm there for Sarah Sharonin. Excellent. I like that pick a lot. What is your number next pick, Mr. or number last pick, Mr. Art Dalton Stewart? Whoever I, you are. Yeah, I am what you need me to be in any given moment. Thank you. My final pick is Lakeith Stanfield, uh, who I can just see doing a real weird Western. Um, I, again, I could see him doing conventional Westerns. Boots Riley's Western? It could be any. Yeah. Oh, man, that would be so good. Ooh. 
but I, I just pictured him in something like Dead Man was what made oh, me yeah. think of him first. It was something where a character on a journey in a strange land that only gets stranger, right? Uh, but then I was like, well, you know what? Even with the the Death Note movie, not good. He's really great in it, though, and like brings uh, a very severe intensity uh, to the character he's playing, you know, kind of a Sherlock Holmes type. And then I was like, you know, he could play Harden Gunslinger. Like, there's no... There's a, an intensity perf- to some of his performances that you can kind of see where he could go to that... Uh, killer of men place in a mm. character in a really interesting way um but again i, I also see him in a, a stranger in a strange land type movie but whatever it looks like there is no way it's not a fascinating movie with lakeith stanfield at the helm uh and i just I, again it's it's not the first pick that is going to come to mind because he's not associated with with badasses yet honestly i see that changing in his career if he wants it to because he can kind of do whatever he wants he, he is a, a name that's got a lot of buzz right now uh, I hate using that kind of language, but mm-hmm. his career's got traction in a sure. pretty fucking badass way. And uh, I think this is the point where uh, actors get to leverage that to, for the roles they want. And uh, he could do that action guy thing if he wanted to, or he could do the weird Western. In either case, it's going to be a cool cowboy movie. Absolutely, absolutely. Um, my number last pick, again, I have to sort of name the movie first, or the pick doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I feel you. So, well, okay, Texas is a slave state. Mm-hmm. Right. And so I'm thinking a uh, sort of a head slave, a house slave uh, sort of character after a attack of some sort, you know, whether it's, you know, the Mexican army or Native Americans or something like that. And something of a road survival movie where two characters, uh, again, what are, what are the plantation uh, owners or children of an owner are like forced on a trail together kind of story and trying to find their way to safety. Gotcha. And I want our African American slave to be played by Octavia Spencer. Okay. And she is doing yeah. what needs to be done and understands that and dealing with the sort of harshness and the situation in the West and also confronting some of those issues uh, surrounding race and yeah, slavery. Yeah, that's going to come up probably. A little bit. I would think so. I would think so. But I want I want my Octavia we- Octavia Spencer Western. Well, that's a really interesting pick too because it, it takes a a really kind of gross archetype we're familiar with, uh, mm-hmm. Mammy from Gone with the Wind. Uh, yeah, I want, I want to re- rehabilitate it, the well, Gone with it, the Wind. It shows road. you, it reminds you the the survival instinct necessary to exist in that world, mm-hmm. where you have eyes that do not approve of you on you at all times. And uh, yeah, I, I think Octavia Spencer is just going to like show the dimensions of that character in a really incredible way. That's yeah. a wow, good pick. So then, you know, I want to pitch that movie. I'm yeah. Hollywood. Who's, me, who's she paired with? Who is she paired with? I don't know. Okay. I, I I think about that a lot, and I'm like, I got like a, I got like a Jennifer Lawrence kind See, of uh, person wow. in my mind. Or... I was picturing uh, the the uh, this this little, little tough young man who thinks he knows what's what, uh, and ha- is about to learn that he does not know shit about survival. Oh yeah, I that's kind of what I was picturing. But that, yeah, yeah, like a young child actor, Timothy Chalamet. Timothy Chalamet would be perfect, actually. That'd be fun, you know, if you have a dude, you know, yeah. or, instead of two ladies. Uh, well, just this guy, because I, I, I think you, that gives you room to play with these Western archetypes mm-hmm. in a really cool way, right? Yeah, or or like a very snooty Kirsten Dunst, Ooh. Um, you know, kind of like in the beguiled. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, okay. something like that moving across. Mm. These are good picks. So anyway, Fun game. anyway, there we go. Um, those are our selections for other people that have not yet been in a Western that ought to get to that and get to that quickly. Um, if you have selections for that, see social media and uh, send those uh, selections to us, and we'll. If you're one of those actors and you're listening to this podcast and you're thinking I need a new representation, I don't know what I'm doing, but I'll get. We a are shot. here for you. Yeah, we'll, yeah, do, we'll uh, try it. I mean, I'll get you that screenplay in a month. <laughs> we'll try it. We'll write and direct. Look, I think about actors 
careers a lot. I don't know why. I like to think about actors' careers the way uh, sports nerds think about their football teams. We're here to help you. You're here to help me? Uh, no, them, not you. Oh, okay, gotcha. We're here for Hollywood. Because <laughs> they need all House the House of Mouse 2020. Oh, gosh. Moving on, I think now it is definitely time to get down to business. It's That business is, as always, analysis, and we're going to bring some spicy stuff to you right here, right now, uh, talking about this movie. Dalton, you've already mentioned its narration and sort of meditation on violence. Say more things about that. There's this incredible line uh, that Doc Holliday gets. Uh, uh, Wyatt and Doc are talking about what makes Johnny Ringo tick. Uh, and what they come down to is Val Kilmer gives this amazing line read of he's just trying to get revenge for being born. Mm-hmm. And... It is this really incredible moment in this movie that I feel like it all kind of coalesces together. Everything this movie's been leading to is that one moment. And he says that line, you're like, oh shit, I get what this movie's about now. And it's kind of great. Just that angry lashing out, I don't like my circumstances, I don't like my situation, and all I can do is just hurt. Here's the thing, though, that's what all the Earp brothers and Doc Holliday are doing, too. They're just choosing to do it different ways. It's just like profound emptiness that all these guys have uh, that just keeps leading them into these violent confrontations because everybody, including some of the Cowboys, all the other law enforcement in Tombstone is trying to avoid this conversation, this confrontation. Most of the other Cowboys are trying to avoid it too. Like when it actually does escalate, they back off, but Johnny Ringo and Curly Bill and the Earp brothers cannot help but go to this certain road of gunslinging i I, you know i think you're right there and i think that's an interesting uh, sort of way to open into this i wonder if we can color this just a little bit though because doc also has a line describing wyatt's motivation and he says it's not revenge that he's after he's after the reckoning what what does that distinction mean and how does that sort of shade the difference maybe between him and a johnny ringo character well i think the difference is he he gives these guys an out like he tries to bury the hatchet he 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 accepts the revenge killing and says, you know what? That was the cost of doing business. I shouldn't have gotten involved in this. I knew that this is what happens when you go killing people. They they come to kill you back if you don't get them all. So he says, all right, you got my brother. You injured my other brother. You ran their wives and uh, my wife out of town. I give up. I'm leaving. I give up. And then they come at him again. And I think that's the reckoning is this has left the realm of justice and this has become personal because I tried to bury the hatchet uh, as politely as possible, and uh, you decided that we were going to keep doing this. It's time to burn him down. Exactly. Yeah. yeah. And then the reckoning is is just that now justice. You are going. I am going. You you have you deserve something, and you are going to get it mm-hmm. because of your again sort of sentence that has been let meted out against you. You know, in sort of God's divine courtroom, and again, all that sort of divine imagery and the 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 pale rider and the you know the horse that's you know coming and bringing pestilence yeah. and death with him. And so, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's very, very much part of what the story is. And that, that ends up being an empty feeling, of course. If all you're looking for is to finally sort of make the scales balance again, of course they don't because your yeah. brother's still dead. Right? He's left broke, broken. I mean, he has nothing at the end. You know, he's, when he's playing cards with Doc on his deathbed and it's just, I don't have a buck to my name. He's the only player, person he can afford to play with. I mean, yeah, the, the, this revenge has brought him nothing. This reckoning has brought him no peace, no gain. Uh, he's lost everything that's dear to him. Yeah, it's, it, and I think it's the movie's explicit choice to show him attempting to uh, to forego vengeance. Uh, and I, I think it, 
the the film at the very least uh, thinks it's important to show that distinction, and I think that Doc sees that distinction uh, is part of what makes him one of the most interesting characters in this movie. It, it, it is because he's he's built as the wild card. He's built as the. I mean, he he has no qualms with murder. He'll kill anybody, um, but he is kind of a moral narrator for for the audience to kind of. Yeah, for sure. The, the the scene that I think kind of ties his character together, thinking about him as like this moral surrogate for the audience, Arthur, is where he, he says the thing about, like, I've always wondered what it was like to have one of those. Yeah. Uh, and he gives him the badge. And it's like mm-hmm. th- this moment where this cad, this gentleman gambler gunslinger has to admit that, like, deep down, like, the gunslinging thinks because he wanted to be the, the, a lawman, too. He just sees that life and goes, oh, I, mm, you guys are full of shit. I'm not going to do yeah. that. But at his core, at his heart, he still wants that. He still wants the uh, the belief, the ability to say that I'm on the side of of justice. Yeah, uh, and I think that says a lot about uh, about Doc Holliday's character. That at the end of the day, that's what he wanted, even if it was just to deal with Johnny Ringo. Right, and my my hypocrisy only goes so far. Yeah. right. But uh, I think it's it's interesting that Arthur points it out because his his morality is never you know in question. Right, mm-hmm. he he is what he says he is, but. Uh, you get these accusations leveled at Wyatt uh, and the Earp brothers at their pimps, right? Right. Uh, so their their moral authority is actually in question because uh, everybody views them as hypocrites, or at least some people do. Absolutely. And that was the thing that you know followed uh, the real Wyatt Earp to his grave was these accusations of him being a pimp. And again, we're talking pimp in the 1880s context of also running gambling games. It wasn't. Mm-hmm. It had you know it assumed prostitution as well, but it also had just as much to do with gambling. But, yeah, you were on the wrong side of the law, and you just set yourself up in a law position so that you can, well, you know, you can cover your bets. Exactly. And again, that was a thing that got leveled at the Earp brothers because there was a real concern of the people of Tombstone at that time, not just the Cowboys, that uh, these guys said that they were the law, but were also heavily invested in the gambling trade there. And I, and I think what I want to move to here a little bit to sort of uh, just, again, r- dial in a different spectrum of this conversation is the iconic sort of role that Wyatt Earp fills in Americana of this um, idea of justice and of, of law enforcement, and um, interestingly, of Second Amendment stuff. That that there's a huge um, there's there's a, a couple things. First of all, we have the appearance of Charlton Heston in the film. He wants to be in a wider movie. He plays a hooker who's uh, got the ranch that they co- convalesce at um, for a little while when a holiday gets sick, and also uh, very famously during uh, one of the clown car of Republican primaries um, in the last decade or so. Pat Buchanan uh, quite famously uh, strapped up, you know, six shooters on both sides of him and walked up and down the streets of Tombstone, you know, talking about, you know, sort of Second Amendment rights and the right to bear arms and all that. And yet, the historical and con- yet, that what the Earths yet. do hmm. is interesting insofar as that what they're really well known for is as law enforcement officials in any given municipality, they require that people don't carry open weapons in their town. That That's a solution. Because they were guys who got into gunfights, and they knew that the more guns that are in a place, the higher the likelihood a gunfight will take place. You know what you can't have happen if nobody's got a gun? Shootings. A gunfight. No gunfights. Now again, then we get in this whole conversation of, well, what if Curly Bill walks in with a Winchester repeater or two? Mm-hmm. Uh, Okay, yeah, this is a different conversation for a different time. It is important to remember the practicalities of the people who actually do this for a job uh, then and now. Don't like it when people are all strapped up. Yeah. 
And and then that it's, it's a real deterrent. Like what ends up happening is um, Tombstone and um, before that Dodge City, um, the the amount of violent crime goes down dramatically when there is a sensible gun control law uh, put in place. Which is it just again just sort of an interesting observation because that historical detail. So, I don't know how it gets alighted, but that it that the Wyatt Earp becomes this sort of icon of you know a good guy with a gun. For uh, again, sort of an NRA esque kind of political, um, you know, plank of a platform. It 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 just it it it, it totally goes into the face of what you know the uh, American the way the American iconography tells the story. I think it's very easy to forget that the iconography and myth of the West was being written at the time. You mm-hmm. know, it's it's not like they didn't realize that they were doing a thing that people were going to tell stories about. They were actively telling stories about it as it was happening, about the expansion of the West. It was this grand adventure for America, right? Um, you know, a grand adventure that involved a whole lot of genocide. But yes, at the time, they weren't really that concerned about that. Uh, but it, it's interesting that they, they were always trying to invent a time that never existed then, and we just kind of have bought the legend. Uh, as the smartest of Westerns often remind us, uh, the legend is what gets printed because it's more interesting. So it, it, it is vexing, to yes. say the least, when, when people actively choose to ignore the, the record and go with the legend. I mean, because I want to say this. I think the Earps are liberal gun control nuts <laughs> for, the, for the 19th century. Uh, I would say that they are also had very progressive uh, policies concerning uh, gambling and uh, the ownership of uh, gambling profits by uh, – People in charge of the running of a town. Mm-hmm. Um, so it's, it's you know we, okay we got to get us a racetrack here right. So uh, this funny. town needs a racetrack. So I it just it's, it's a very very sort of. Convoluted... I thought the goof you were doing was cute for the yeah. record. Which... I liked your goof. Oh thank you. Yeah, where you called them liberal. Yeah, well, they, I mean I, th- I think for for their honestly yeah for the time for they their kinda, time they, they kind of really were. were. <laughs> and really I mean you look at their policies and what they would institute in a, in a community they would say yeah we need to have nobody with guns so we don't have people shooting up you know a nightclub I mean a saloon and that it it seems to work you know I'm just. It just, probably it, protects them a little, too. Well, I mean, there's definitely that going on as well. So anyway, but when you read those histories of uh, Wyatt Earp, when you begin to talk, I mean, the very first Wyatt Earp stories I ever read, I read in an NRA magazine. The very first time, you know, I, I, I sort of find any bit of history. It's this weird obsession with Wyatt Earp's 12-inch long buntline revolver um, that he happens to use, that it's a this particular weapon. And, and again, the sort of, you know, gun enthusiast cartridge size and all that stuff uh, that goes along with it. It's very much painted up and this is how that particular gunfight goes i read a retelling of it fun fact at okay corral he was just carrying like a pretty standard schofield yeah yep wasn't even carrying the gun that he allegedly handed apparently this gun is associated with him because he passed them out when he left dodge city or something really like the other i didn't know or some business see i did a little bit of research you know when you said schofield i thought the bible so i was confused anyway no the gun so um (laughs) the schofield bible would probably be very useless in that particular instance uh you know if you Put a bunch Might of block a bullet. Your, they're quite exactly, thick. Exactly, yeah. yeah. If you yeah. line your jacket with them, now you've created something truly special. Which is a story that's always told about Wyatt Earp, whether or not he wore some kind of, um, you know, um, Chinese Protection. silk um, vest mm. or something like that for him never being <laughs> shot. You know, I did think... You, did, this is a real thing. I don't know if you guys know this. The, the river fight where he just, like, walks right up to Curly Bill. This really happened. That's this insane. real deal happened. He walks out in the middle of this gunfight and doesn't get shot and just, like, walks up to the guy. 
It's truly insane. He's down by the creek, walking on water. That's how. That's what a crazy person does. Yes, and uh, perhaps a bit insane. Well, you know, when your brother gets killed by a guy, it tends to make you real, real fussy. And depends on the brother, I suppose. But anyway, um, <laughs> I wouldn't. I wouldn't know. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> So let's move on to something else. Let's talk about the friendship aspect of this of this movie because the bromance is heavy, but it's not just that particular bromance. And we've already referenced the moment a little while earlier in the show where um, Billy Zane's character walks out on the stage and Curly Bill declares it is the prettiest man I ever saw. And clearly Jason Priestley, um, his character, whose uh, character name Billy I Billy Breckenridge. Breckenridge, Breckenridge yep. yeah, uh, is a guy in, who went to his grave saying Wyatt Earp sucks. Yep. Yeah. But was in love with Billy Zane, right? Well, understandably. Well, yeah. I mean, he's gorgeous. But, you know, that character is, is coded as gay, right? Yeah, yeah. absolutely. The, the cowboys make oh, yeah. fun of him. Uh, I, they, they don't, you know, they don't say he's any slurs effete. or anything. But yeah. They, they definitely question his, uh, his, his credentials as a, yeah. as a tough guy. Um, and again, yeah, he's kind of a feat and educated, which in a Western is code for gay. Yeah. Well, yep. he wears a derby style hat. He's got, you know, little rimless glasses. So all of that works against him in terms of, of the sort of standard, you know, uh, Western silhouette that uh, Billy Zane describes so well uh, when he describes Wyatt Earp in the distance. He does explain it very well. Uh, this is a, a film that I like a lot that it interrogates the sexual politics of the West in a much more realistic way. Uh, because it turns out the norms of society had not followed all these reprobates that moved to mining towns. Mm-hmm. Uh, so the West is, again, historical record backs us up here, a sexually fairly... Uh, laissez-faire place uh now again there were norms of the time in terms of uh heteronormativity that were going to be enforced uh but not as much as they will probably would have been in some more quote-unquote civilized places right yeah so i I like not only that interaction with uh you know same gender attraction both with billy zane and uh uh, Billy Jason Beckeridge, Pri- Jason yeah. Prissy's character. Yeah. Uh, but also, as we get it with Wyatt Earp being attracted to... Um, Maddie Blaylock. Jo- well, Maddie Blaylock, who is his, his, his wife. His, his common-law common wife. Never, all the what, Earps, none of them were actually married. Speaking again to people who had fairly you know, progressive views of sex yeah. and substance abuse. Uh, but his attraction to Jewish Josephine. Yeah. Uh, well, and also Maddie's uh, laudanum addiction and mm-hmm. how that kind of... That's an interesting thing about that dynamic, too, because it... It does. It doesn't let him off the hook in any means, but it also makes this a relationship where you. It, I, I struggle with this because at times I was like, "Oh, this movie just doesn't want you to think White Earp's a bad guy for cheating on his wife," but at the same time, they they are portraying something that there's a historical record for, and they're portraying a realistic view of how a relationship falls apart. Right. Yeah. He's got this whole thing that he's got going on that he's not telling her about, both in the terms of running the gambling business and these these blood feuds. She's got this whole substance uh, dependency issue she's not telling him about. And that's, that's how a relationship falls apart. Yeah. Logdom is basically whiskey and opium. Yeah. It, we we should have clarified yeah. that. Yeah. yeah. It's, it, it, is, it is intense... Intense. It turns stuff. out the opioid epidemic has been going on for about 130 it's years. A minute now. Yeah, we, we we pretend that this is a new thing, but uh, lots of Civil War vets came home addicted to morphine. Well, what about Big Nose Kate? What about her? Uh, I'm just I'm just curious. You know, um, her relationship with Doc seems to be very different as well. You know, um, there's there's a moment in the movie, and again, I don't know what what analysis that we can offer here, but I just, I find it just I really unnerving. 
so Doc ends up having one of his big fits with tuberculosis, yeah. and the doctor comes in, and the doctor says, among other things, your marital urge has got to be quelled. And so Kate comes... Did he say martial urge or marital urge? Marital urge. Oh, he did? Okay. And then when Kate comes to the bed with him after he runs, get out of my sight, he runs him out, and he says, darling, we may have to redefine the nature of our relationship, and she goes down on him. And, and pours him booze, which he was just told to not. Right, right. Yeah. Well, and lights it and rolls him a cigarette yeah. and says, you know, yes, you are a good woman, but you may be the Antichrist, right? Yeah. It, it's He knows that this is not a healthy relationship. This is yeah. a person who will take care of him, but mm-hmm. her taking care of him means letting him killing say yes him. to all of his yeah. vices, Yeah, which is going to kill him. Yeah. Exactly. It's going to be fun, but it's not going to help him live longer. And it's, that's, yeah. He it, knows he's on his way out, though. Exactly. Yeah. That's why he's like, you might be a good woman, you might be terrible, but this works for right now. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, I just, I found that dynamic to be really fascinating that she does not have his best interest at heart. No. But he's kind of okay with it. And I don't know that she realizes she doesn't have his best interest at heart. I mean, she's listening to it. She knows this is bad for him. And it makes you wonder is she trying to hasten his death so she can, you know, so there's more money left? Milk him and move on. Yeah. Yeah. It's, it, Kate is an undefined character and I could have used more of her. Yeah. Much like I could have used more of Maddie. I mean, Maddie's story is tragic. Yes. It is a bummer. After Wyatt left her, because that's what happened. Wyatt Earp just left her. Uh, he sent her on the train with his brother and, and his that. brother's wife. And never saw and her again. Never saw her again. And she went, tried to go back to a mining town that he met her at and tried to return to life as a sex worker. Didn't really pan out because all the people were gone because the mine had dried up and just died of a laudanum overdose. It's a tragic story. Yes, we it is. Could have done with more of that. Uh, likewise, I'm sure Josephine is a lot more interesting than the film lets us know about. So it's... This film is constantly doing a disservice to its female characters, which is unfortunate because there is groundwork laid for really interesting characters mm-hmm. and relationships. Well, and I think that's where this movie becomes a dude's movie. I mean, that that's really yeah. where there, where the problem lies, is that this movie is marketed to a very specific demographic. And that demographic is, I mean, it's 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 older men who like westerns, I think, is the primary audience. But they, they know that they're going to bring along this sort of younger audience because of the star credentials and power that they're putting together. And so they've made narrative choices to elide those characters. For sure. And again, I th- the film is obviously much more interested in... Uh, the gunfights that took place in these guys' lives. And uh, Doc was at all these gunfights with Wyatt. Uh, his his various love interests were not at these gunfights with him. Mm-hmm. And it's got to be about their friendship because they're there for the parts of the, their story that the movie's most ready to get to. And I think the particular male heartstring that's being nailed there, you know, as we move into that sort of, again, a more platonic kind of relationship um, between Wyatt and uh, Doc, as opposed to that between Billy and uh, the head actor, Billy Zane's character, um, is that um, they're, 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 the loyalty is what really moves, I think, uh, the male audience when they watch that movie. Is, is, it, it's, it's, it's Samwise and Frodo, which, again, has some yeah. gay overtones. Yeah, and we, we joked right about subtext at the start of the show. I don't, I don't think that there is a subtext between Wyatt and Doc, but there is an intimacy to their, yes. that, that relationship yeah. that is not in other platonic depictions of male friendship. And I, I think... Uh, letting and then I think we again we talked about this on Butch and Sundance. That film I don't see the the subtext reading there because there isn't an intimacy to their friendship. There is an intimacy to Wyatt and Doc's friendship. Mm-hmm. Uh, they they stand very close to each other when they speak. I mean, especially when they're visiting each other at you know potential deathbeds, they are they're very tender with each other in a way that uh, is great. Honestly, yeah. I love it. 
They know each other's secrets, and to your point, you know, Butch and Sundance, they don't even know each other's real names. Yeah. So, I mean, that's holding them at a distance. But here, I mean, these guys know each other's histories very, very closely. Well, and it, and it assumes something about the nature of, like, a close uh, relationship, right? I mean, with Butch and Sundance, you're right. Wait, whoa. Hype Siri decided they uh, wanted to chime in. That's what happens when you uh, hold your phone but in your lap. Uh, sorry about that, listener. Yeah, but Butch and Sundance, the, those walls they put up uh, are going to always keep them from having that closeness that I think would allow for that, that subtext reading. But you're right. They're, the secrets being shared between the two of them. I mean, Doc knows that Wyatt wants to cheat on his wife before Wyatt does. Yeah. Yeah. And that's that's somebody that knows you. Yeah. Yeah. It's yeah. Uh, it's very interesting. And, 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 and again, he has sort of no decorum about calling it out either. So funny. When, when he sees that it's the same woman that he says, and he says, I'll be damned. And he says, you will indeed if you're lucky, you know, because she's playing the devil. It's it's, it's just great. And it, Maddie flushes, you know, immediately at that moment. Um, and that and again, that callback where she comes to dance with him and he says no. And Wyatt's or rather Doc says, I stand corrected. Wyatt, you're an oak. And then the I'm an oak all right line later. After yeah, when they have their little uh, horse race, and then they have their horse race, which is uh, apparently there was like a whole. Uh, they made that uh, the love scene there explicit at one point. Oh, in, really? in One version of the film, and they they decided it uh, didn't need it, uh, and also they wanted to keep it vague anyway. Yeah, I mean, I like the choice. I think. Yeah, yeah. I, too. I, mean, I, too. I mean, I assume they banged. I mean, I always have, so I don't. I don't think it's vague in that sense. It's just you don't. I thought it was be... pretty vague. I I wasn't sure one way or the other uh, what what the film was trying to tell me about that interaction until after I read that. Yeah, that's interesting. So okay, well, those are sort of the major sort of thematic things I wanted to look at. Is there anything else you guys would like to discuss regarding Tombstone? Uh, do we want to talk production? I mean, is there anything there? I mean, the ghost, the ghost direction from Russell. The... Yeah, there, there. Well, so we get the our, our guy who wrote the screenplay gets fired a weekend. We yeah, bring in George uh, Cosmatos, uh, but allegedly Kurt Russell's doing a lot of the legwork on this too. Yeah. Kind of a poltergeist situation here. I think what's probably happening here is Kurt Russell uh, was directing the actors and decided that meant he directed. He directed mm-hmm. the movie. And again, I'm not trying to be a dick to Kurt Russell. He seems like a very nice man. I've never met him. I don't know. Uh, but if, God forbid, somebody who knows Kurt Russell ever hears this and uh, is mad that I called their friend a dickhead, I promise that's not what I'm doing. <laughs> However, look, when you're that famous, it's hard not to have an ego. Tendency to inflate egos in interviews. And he's a child star. You know, I mean, there there's definitely potentiality for that. And, and I think, he's got a lot more credit than Cosmeto. I mean, he's got a lot longer resume. And in fairness to Russell, he has been on more film sets than, especially big film sets like that, than Cosmetos had at that point in his career. Well, it kind of becomes like a Carol Reed, Orson Welles thing with the third man, almost. You know, that um, Carol Reed's directing the third man, but Orson Welles is the star, and uh, there's definitely something of a of a Wellesian kind of approach to some yeah. of those cinematic choices. And, and clearly, uh, he's a collaborator, you know, on set. And uh, when the stories of collaboration are sort of told, then it becomes, well, who really was doing what and who's really responsible for what. And I, I, yeah, it happens. And no one will ever know. But it, 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 it's a bad look to say, I directed this movie, not the last minute replacement director. It's just a bad look. Mm-hmm. Don't do it. You can say that you were a collaborator, but it, it just, uh, I don't know, look. And again, that might be the case. Maybe Cosmatos was not doing as much legwork as Russell, but it, it, it's a bad look in an interview, is my opinion. Uh, especially now that, you know, Cosmatos has passed. He's not here to tell us what his view of went down was. 
but again, I, I imagine Kurt Russell's probably just making sure the actors weren't all freaking out about their boss changing a week yeah. into their job. Uh, I have a feeling Cosmos is probably having a lot of uh, uh, conversations about uh, shot choices and stuff and technical stuff that somebody had to get figured out. Yeah. Because I'm sorry, I don't believe for a second that <laughs> Kurt Russell was like talking to uh, you second know, AD. the grip and yeah. The, yeah, the second AD about, I just don't believe it. Yeah, yeah well, and I, I tend to have a bit of a distrust of it. most stories of Kurt Russell. He tells he tells a story, you know, he flies planes too. He, he's got a UFO story and... Some people are very into their own myth-making, and yes. they can't help that they do it. And, uh, I don't know, it's something that we should all be conscious of. Don't take uh, credit for things you didn't do. Very, very true. Very cool. true. That's why I take credit for nothing on the show, even the things I do. Yeah. Good. I know. <laughs> <laughs> all righty, well, let's get to the end of the show where we render a verdict regarding the film Tombstone. Shell for trash, Elser instead. I think I'll have no surprises here except for the um, selections. So uh, what do you say, uh, Dalton? Shell for trash, Elser instead, Tombstone. In our conversations about being uh, stricter about shelving and trashing things, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking about this very hard. And I'm going to go ahead and say shelf because it's just such an er example of what it is. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is a post-Western boom Western, and there aren't a lot of those. We get maybe three Westerns, I would say, every two to five years, just kind of depending on what's in the culture. How I would say big Westerns. There's lots of indie Westerns being made, still slow West. Uh, I mean, there are plenty of indie Westerns. It's getting surprisingly easier to make independent Westerns because people are realizing you don't need to build an entire old West town to make a Western. Mm-hmm. Um but again, we you, we just don't get that many westerns anymore. Maybe I'm going to say five big westerns a year at max. When you maybe get five in a two month period at their peak. So with it being a especially in the '90s, we're making a lot less westerns than even I think we are now. I would say we're making more westerns. But just it's an er example of westerns existing outside of that boom, inside of an entirely different like era of filmmaking, an entirely different ethos of filmmaking. An entirely, you know, different way of shooting action of, of, you know, content that you can show, sex and drug use that was a huge part of the West that you can allude to. All of these things that kind of make it what it is. I, I say kind of make it essential, especially the way that you know comes out against this Kevin Costner movie. It's it's just got this interesting history uh, with this other Wyatt Earp movie that everybody forgot about, um, and just by virtue of it being funner, shorter, and more bloody, I think is probably why it's more well-remembered than the uh, the Kevin Costner wider movie. Um, all these things, yeah, I think it's totally shelfable, not the least of which mentioned. It's infinitely rewatchable, as Arthur has demonstrated in his life. Uh, it's just a good, it's a good time and is really interesting. Um, and plus, I just never get tired of talking about Panos Cosmatos, mm-hmm. uh, and he's only got two movies. So if we bring in his dad's filmography, that just gives us more stuff to talk about. So yeah, I'm going to say let's shelf it. What should you pair with it? Well, I'm just going to say let's get another uh, uh, movie from uh, some of the members of the main cast in here. Let's get another Kurt Russell Western with Bone Tomahawk, the absolutely in just nutso <laughs> uh, Western horror film that uh, Craig Zoller made as Craig Zoller? Crap, I forget that uh, director's name. That's not important. Uh, Bone Tomahawk. It's great. It's a Western until it's not a Western anymore. Uh, Then I would say check out uh, Kiss Kiss Bang Bang with Val Kilmer. Uh, I would say probably his, for me, his next most iconic role. It's not Iceman. It's uh, uh, the detective character he plays in that film. It's not the guy from The Saint? (laughs) Oh, my God, I forgot about that movie. No, it's not his character in uh, Real Geniuses either. Um, (laughs) Although... 
Man, what a movie. Uh, and finally, I'm going to say The Hero with Sam Elliott, which is nice. a film that is really about what it's like to have Sam Elliott's career in a lot of ways, I think. Uh, but I really like that film. Dustin and I got to see that together at a Dead Center a couple of years ago. Uh, and uh, Arthur and I were both big fans of that uh, director's uh, film, Hearts Beat Loud, from this past year. So three great films, all featuring actors from Tombstone, that I think would make really interesting pairings with this movie. Nice selections. I appreciate that very much. Hey, Arthur, you gonna you gonna, you gonna shell Tombstone? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> I am. Um, uh, anyway, else with that one, <laughs> right? Um, I'm going to say a fistful of dollars. Uh, I, I just like that. Act- I mean, the idea of the warring factions is really the, the idea there for me. Um, I'm just going to say Lonesome Dove. I, I love Lonesome Dove. It's another one uh, a few years prior to this, uh, obviously, but just just that kind of epic sweeping nature of that film and just an- another stacked stellar cast uh, with Tommy Lee Jones and Robert Duvall and Diane Lane and, you know, Everybody under the sun at the time, uh, who was somebody. Uh, so check out Lonesome Dove if you've never seen it. And then finally, I want to say, um, oh goodness, I just lost it in my head. What was it? Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Another movie about making a deal with the devil, um, uh, with Sam Elliott, uh, and that is Ghost Rider with Nick Cage. Uh, <laughs> you are a lunatic. Oh there you go. God. I love it. Thank you very much for that. Um, I'm also going to say shelf. I, I it already is on my shelf. I own it. Um, and I I don't regret at all having purchased it. And I've made it has made the rounds many times in my various and sundry DVD players. Uh, have either of the boys watched it with you yet? Uh, yeah, both. They love it. I'm yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm yeah. Yeah, that movie was made in a laboratory for ten year old boys. It was man. I'm telling you, it's great. It's just fantastic. So I am going to recommend you go ahead and see the Kevin Costner. Um, how is it? It it's long. So I've heard, um, but it, it it does. That's not the first descriptor I like for any movie. No, me neither. I mean, but but it <laughs> it does fill out a lot of the sort of historical context and backstory. Um, that I mean, at the time in Dodge City, um, the way his first wife died of typhoid fever, and then he ran into alcoholism hard and was rescued from a hanging as a horse thief um, by his father. And that's what ends up driving him out to the West. And wow. that's why he's holding a cup of coffee when they're in the, uh, when they're in the Oriental. And, uh, Josephine walks up to him. Is that he's, he's sworn off the sauce. Well, I, no, I was thinking about the fact that the Kurt Russell has a, uh, neck scar in the movie. Uh, yeah. And I noticed that watching the film and I was like, hmm, I wonder if that's just for, for show or that's interesting though. There is a, a reason for that scar. I mean, he did, he wasn't like on the news. He like, his dad breaks him out of jail though, basically. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah. Um, and so, dang it. All right. Makes, makes arrangements for him to get out of jail. Uh, I got so excited. Played about... by Gene Hackman in the movie. So, okay. Now I'm interested. That's very not bad. Um, there, and again, just sort of weird moments of realism that are in, uh, Wyatt Earp that I think are great. Um, Bat Masterson, when he gets shot, his vest catches on fire from the, uh, from the powder whoa and uh you know stuff like that yeah that you don't get in other movies and it's just it's just interesting to sort of see another take and it's also interesting because it is um in a weird way and again almost kind of a pedantic clinical way very much more interested with historicity and so i i i think it's a good pairing for that reason um now if you want a fun pairing now this is so that's hold on before we move on this is really important who's the better wider Kurt Russell. Okay, I figured. I'm I mean, just curious. But Kevin Costner's great. 
I mean, I think he's very good at that okay. sort of aw shucks. I don't really want to do this. He's good at disheveled and just gross, you know. And so, so that that arc is really, really interesting. There's not as much of an arc with Wyatt that you see with Kurt Russell, but yeah, he's pretty much who he is. But Kurt Kurt Russell is just overall more iconic with it. That cold blue stare that he gives, I think, is 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 just impressive. So, I mean, does that mustache mm-hmm. is an end all be all mustache? It, it's killer. Yeah, <laughs> it's incredible. So anyway, I do. I think the Wyatt movie is worth watching if you love Tombstone. Um, but I would say the better pairing, though, is, is another crime, organized crime film that you pair Tombstone with The Departed. Okay. That those two movies um, share a lot of just what do you do? How do you deal with the situation? What does it look like to work on both sides of the law? To sort of be in that nebulous place in the middle of the law where, again, the herbs are running a racket. And also they're kind of crooks. And also they are law enforcement and that, you know, where am I, how do I play and to what extent do I want to be vengeful and do I kind of love the baddies and do I not love the goodies um, as I should. It, that blurring the lines of the white hats and the black hats I think is really fascinating. And so I think that's a good pair with Tombstone. Yeah, I think there's a, it is no accident that the Earp brothers are always clad head to toe in black in this film. Mm-hmm. I do not think that's an accident in any way. Yeah, well, and again, the, the, the conspiracy theory is so they could hide their body armor um, that they were wearing. Under Love this vest. conspiracy theory. Yeah, it's, it's really hilarious. Um, there's a, the, I could show you nerd stuff on nerd stuff. Gun nerd stuff is just like every other kind of nerd oh, stuff. Oh, yeah. Let no, me trust you. me. I'm aware. So, Did you know that there is an internet movie firearms database where gun nerds catalog all the movies used in uh, – or the guns used in movies? I did not. Yeah. It's a real thing. I am dead on the inside. Nerds, man. All right. Well, there you go, dear listener. Those are our thoughts on Tombstone. All right. That was fun. What a great run we've had. I appreciate it. So. Nope. You you signed up for a whole nother month, bud. You can't yep. cop out now. Nope. Um, we did Tombstone. Your boots are still on. We've got to go until they're off. You've oh. got to put this shtick to bed for at least three How more weeks. about that moment where Doc Holliday looks at his feet? I'll be damned. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> this is funny. All right. He dies yeah. with his boots off, which is just... Funny. It's perfect. Yeah, I did best line. It's an amazing moment. It made me think about the uh, standing on holy ground thing from uh, First Reformed. Mm, mm-hmm. mm. Yeah, that's good. Everything makes me think about First Reformed, though. So that's you know true. what I'm thinking about, though. What are you thinking about? I'm thinking about that Kurt Russell UFO thing. I mean, that's just wild, isn't it? It, it is weird. It's weird that he does that. I mean, aliens and cowboys. I mean, that's it's a little oh, out no, there. Nobody'd make that movie, though, wouldn't they? Oh, but they would, wouldn't they? John Favreau certainly did. <laughs> oh, did he? He oh, did. Based on the graphic novel, we are watching Cowboys and Aliens. Look, you're getting your your fill of uh, good trash westerns. This you month. had your good stuff. You had your your uh, uh, I can't think Canonical. filet mignon. You had your lobster. You had your. Oh, did you like Stagecoach? Did it taste so good? Mm, get that out of your face! You're going to eat this, this hamburger of a movie. Yeah. This is McDonald's month here at the Good Trash Genre Feed you a McRib of a movie. Oh, gosh. <laughs> and you're going to watch Cowboys and Aliens. And, and you're going to like it. it. And you're going to listen to <laughs> us talk about it. You're going to have a great time. Uh, so you keep watching, we'll keep talking, and we'll see you all next time. Thanks for tuning in to the Good Trash Honor Cast. The Good Trash Honor Cast is a product of Good Trash Media. For more info on everything Good Trash, head on over to goodtrashmedia.com. Our intro music, as always, is an original composition by friend of the show, Aaron Rodgers. And our outro music this week is When the Man Comes Around by Johnny Cash. And I heard, as it were, the noise of thunder. One of the four beasts saying, come and see. And I saw, and behold, a white horse.
There's a man going round taking names And he decides who to free and who to blame Everybody won't be treated all the same There'll be a golden ladder reaching down When the man comes around The hairs on your arm will stand up At the terror in each sip and in each sup Will you partake of that last offered cup Or disappear into the potter's ground When the man comes around Hear the trumpets, hear the pipers one hundred million angels singing Multitudes are marching to the big kettle drum Voices calling, voices crying Some are born and some are dying It's Alpha and Omega's kingdom come And the whirlwind is in the thorn tree the virgins are all trimming their wigs. The whirlwind is in the thorn tree. It's hard for thee to kick against the pricks.